And we're back. I'm James. This is the Fifth Man Podcast. I'm Mike. I'm Brent. I'm James. All right. Hey, James. It's been a while since we recorded. What have you done since? Did you go to Did you go to Bobby Houck's football camp? Yeah. How was that? Yeah. Yeah. How'd you, what'd you learn? Did you learn how to put your hands correctly on a football? Yeah. All right. Anything else important? One you told me two. So I'm <laughs> assuming that means you put you put two fingers on the football. Is that right? On the laces? Or four? What are you telling me? Podcasts don't work if you don't talk. All right. You good, bud? All right. Okay. So no Luke today. He is out gallivanting across the Flathead Valley somewhere. But we do have a uh, great guest today, uh, Ryan Divish, who covers the Mariners for the Seattle Times and is a UM alum and wrote for the Cayman in the late 90s, early 2000s is with us. So Ryan, welcome. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to, you know, uh, bat below your level here with uh, Brent and I. Uh, I'm in Haver, Montana right now, so there isn't a whole lot going on. Um, so I have plenty of free time, you know. It's either that or, you know, doing one of the many chores my mom is making me do by staying at her house and eating all their food. <laughs> How long have you been in Haver? You know, I, I it's kind of funny. My um, when they when Montana went to phase two and you didn't have to 14 day quarantine, uh, and they kind of announced that leading up, my mom and dad started calling me like every day asking if I was going to come home. So I came home on the 31st um, or the 30th, whatever it was basically here June 1st and I've been here ever since. I'd only planned to stay for about five or six days. And then, cause I thought that spring training 2.0 was going to start on June 10th mm-hmm. and uh, it didn't. So the more it got kind of drug out, I just kind of said, I'll just stay and continue to leech off my parents as much as possible. You know, a little bit, weather was good in Haver. I mean, except for the wind blowing, but that's pretty much every day. Uh, and so I just kind of hung out with, you know, I was able to golf and just do some stuff, and it was a lot better than being back in Tacoma at that point, and that's where I live, I was in Tacoma, and so, yeah, I've been here, I don't know, a long time, it feels like. Is it, um, is this the longest stretch you've been in Montana since you've been away, or do you, are you able to get there in the offseason for a long stretch every year? You know, I'll come to Montana for almost a month in October, because, you know, the Mariners never play in October, so I don't have to worry about that, I can make plans. I'm glad um, you made, it, made the joke, because I was going there. <laughs> yeah, no. So I always have most of October and I'll like last year I left the day after the season ended. I was so pissed off by the time the season was over with I was like, I gotta get out. But I'll go to Missoula for three or four days and then go to Haver and then come back to Missoula. Like last year I went I went home or went back to Missoula, went to that Grizz game, I think it was on the fourth or fifth, and then um went back to Haver and then came back through for the Eastern game which was thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable beating their asses like that. I, you know, and then I, I'll come back usually in November and December as well. Um, I spend a lot of the off season in, in Montana, which makes me wonder why I pay $1,800 a month for an apartment that I'm barely ever in. Yeah. Brian, when you, when you come out to Haver, do you take the train or is it a drive or what do you uh, do? I usually drive. Like in the wintertime, I'll fly to Great Falls. And my parents will pick me up. It's interesting. One time I flew to Great Falls – I was flying to Great Falls, I think, in the summertime, and uh, I was leaving my house in Tacoma to go to SeaTac, 
with traffic and all this other stuff and a wreck. It took me an hour and 45 minutes to get from Tacoma to SeaTac, which is a span of about 18 miles. And it took us an hour and 15 minutes to get from Great Falls to Haver, which is 110 miles. <laughs> so it was pretty crazy. Um, yeah, so I usually, will, in, the, in the summertime or in the, in the early fall, I'll drive. But uh, in the wintertime, I'll fly. No train. Um, I never thought, I, I probably could. You know, my family, my dad worked for the railroad for years. So he'll take, they take the train out to Seattle. But I have, <laughs> usually have enough miles and, 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 you know, just enough airline status that I can, you know, get a flight pretty easy. Mm -hmm. Well, whenever we have a, a journalism guy on either with, with, you know, covering the Grizz currently or with UM ties, we always kind of like to get back into your UM days and then how you got there. So we'll bounce around a little bit, but I guess to, to kind of start, um, tell us a bit uh, how you ended up uh, being the beat writer for the Mariners for times. I mean, as far as like sports journalism jobs go, that's a pretty cool one, right? Wouldn't being a beat writer for the major paper in a major market be kind of kind of a fun job? Yeah, I mean, um, like I I, did, I knew I wanted to be in journalism in high school, but I also thought that I was a good baseball player. So I went to school actually for I went to start out I went to a year at MSU Northern in my hometown. I got a scholar, uh, academic scholarship and I got hurt playing my senior year and I just wasn't. I thought, oh, I don't think I want to play baseball anymore. So then I transferred down to Montana for my first of what would be three sophomore years. And uh, I made it through like one semester of not going to school. And, you know, we lived off campus, which was bad, and I just didn't go. And so a coach from Dickinson State called me and asked me if I was still interested in playing. One of my friends from my team in Haver was playing there. So I was like, yeah, I need some structure. I need something because I was going to flunk out. So I went to Dickinson for four years, played baseball for four years there, got a teaching degree, but I always kind of knew I want to do journalism. So I, I, I did my student teaching in Frenchtown um, and high school student teaching, high school history and political science. And uh, after student teaching, I decided that I hated kids and I never wanted to be a teacher. So I went back to journalism school and um, you know, I, I was out, I did my internship. I did an internship at the News Tribune in Tacoma which at the time was a really big paper, you know, it was 125,000 Cirque. So I did my internship there and for whatever reason, the sports editor liked me. So four or five years later, I was working in Idaho fall or at, uh, Pocatello covering Idaho state football and news tribune called me back and asked me if I wanted to come back and be a general assignment sports reporter. And I jumped at the opportunity. Um, and from there, I just kind of went to the times I started covering baseball in 2008 and then the times offered me I'd, I'd covered baseball mostly for the news tribune but i also covered uh, one year of steve sarkeesian at uh UW oh, yeah. and lorenzo yeah, i covered uw football and basketball for a year um full time and then i went back to baseball and then the times got a hold of me i think in 2012 and or 2014 and just kind of moved up it was just you know it was the really it was the internship that kind of saved me. I, I was in Tacoma. I got to know a lot of the people in the area. I covered some Mariners games then. And so I think that helped this guy named Dale Phelps, who's the sports editor, basically made my career. I mean, and when the, the times was offering me the job, I was the beat writer at the news tribune and it was full travel. And we still had a pretty high circulation. And he just said, look, you've outgrown this place. You need to go to Seattle and start writing for them. And mm -hmm you know, to get to where you want to go. And so, yes, yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, it's, I don't know if it's what, you know, it's kind of who, you know, but once you kind of get into the baseball writing thing, 
it's kind of easy to move around. Although I don't know anymore where I'd go, you know, like where do you go from the times, you know, cause it's not like I wouldn't want to live in New York or Boston and I don't know, San Diego, San Diego sounds good. So, I mean, obviously you're a beat writer and you need to stay impartial, but you're from, you know, you, you, you grew up in the area that the Mariners would claim as their larger territory, which is a whole mm-hmm. other conversation. So, I mean, were you a Mariners fan growing up or? No, I, I wasn't. Um, I liked Griffey because like every kid my age loved Griffey. You know, I remember, but my, the first team I ever saw play in the first, I think 10 or 11 pro games I ever went to were all in the Metrodome. Uh, and so I kind of liked the twins a little bit, but I really just liked Kirby Puckett. I didn't really have, you know, I really like Kirby Puckett, but then my dad was kind of a Yankees fan. So me being the kind of asshole kid that I was, I, um, I liked the red, I'd say I liked the Red Sox or whoever, oh. you know, I just, I don't know. I didn't have a lot. I mean, it's weird in Seattle or in Haver, you didn't have a lot of allegiances. I didn't have that, you know, um, like my dad liked the 49ers, so I liked the Cowboys. I was just that kid, you know, like <laughs> he liked the Celtics, so I liked the Lakers. I mean, these were, but yeah, I, I didn't really, I don't know. I didn't really have a team. I guess kind of towards the end there, when I was in high school, I liked the Red Sox a little bit more. I have the 237 Mike Greenwell cards to prove that I like the Red Sox. They aren't worth the cardboard they're printed on. <laughs> if you could trace it to pre 2004, we're fine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. Mike Greenwell, Ellis Burks, they were really terrible. And so that's kind of where I really kind of started liking the Red Sox. Well, Mike Nugent is a Yankees fan here and a 49ers fan. I think you okay. got It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I've enjoyed happiness in my fandom. I don't know what you guys are doing. Yeah. Uh, it is weird, though. Like now, I mean, you still, I like watching players, but like it is hard. You kind of give up being a fan. Right. things especially like I still have to help cover the Seahawks and I, I was never a Seahawks fan anyways um but you know I'll still have to help with the Seahawks and especially in the postseason stuff like that I I don't really I just like watching games anymore like I'm just like I think I like players like certain players and stuff like that but otherwise I like the Grizz is my one outlet like Montana football and Montana basketball are my one outlet to be a fan and even then I'm still kind of like you know I don't go as crazy as I used to I get pissed off a lot, but I don't, you know, I don't go as crazy. So we're working on uh, not getting so angry. Um, I was going to say, yeah. this is one of those points when the, when we get a Pac-12 breath of Missoula doing a basketball game, right? Yeah, it's like, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I like it. So you were in, in Missoula, 98 to 2000 UM, wrote for the Cayman. Were you, were, you write sports for the Cayman? Yeah, I was a sports editor for the Cayman for a little while and just wrote sports, um, covered the football team a little bit. Um, I think my first beat was covering uh, the girls' soccer team. I knew nothing about soccer. And that (laughs) Betsy Dirksen lady had to, like, just speak to me in, like, the most basic of levels because I didn't understand anything that she was saying. But the girls were cute, and so it was kind of fun. And then I think one year I covered Lady Grizz Volleyball, and they were all taller than me, and it was a little intimidating. But yeah, I covered, I did cover, um, I covered the basketball team the one year they, they, um, with Matt Williams' senior year and Don Holst and they, oh, yeah. when Weaver, Weaver State had Eddie Gill and Harold Arsenault and that was, that was a fun year to cover them. Was that, was that the year where, that was in the year where the Cats 
the, the Bobcats won the regular season and then the Grizz won it in Bozeman on like a last second dunk. Was that that season? No, that was the, I think that was the year next year or the year before that, the, the year they won it, they hosted at, um, they hosted in Missoula and then didn't, you know, and then, but they didn't win the championship in, in Missoula. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, so like when I was, when I was in Missoula, I mean, like that was the heyday of Grizzly football. I mean, like, you know, that was right I in mean, between like, the two championships. Yeah. I went to, I went to, um, you know, I, I, I was working for Reds. I worked bartending at Reds all through like my two or three years there. And then a couple years afterwards. So I'm, I went to the, what was it, 2001. I went to that. Hmm. I was the only person that was searched before they got on a charter like up against the wall, they were, I was being racially profiled is what my buddy Vaughn was saying. He was just laughing at me, but like, yeah, I, I, I went to, I went to that championship when they won it. And then I went to everyone after that. I made a, a promise on me and my buddy, George Ferguson, we made a promise that we were going to go to all of them. He never kept it. I kept mine, but <laughs> the problem was they stopped winning them after I was going, I was getting a little irritated. So, but that's maybe George's fault for not going then, right? Yeah, he did go to, well, you know, he coached Mark Mariani in tennis, so he started going when Mark went back, and he went. But um, yeah, I that first one though, that was that was amazing. I thought I did irreparable damage to my liver on that one. <laughs> well, I mean, who knows? You'll find out later in life. Yeah. Uh, side note: since you brought up George Ferguson, is he as connected to the Grizzly football program as he appears to be, or is he just really good at cultivating information? I he's got a few sources so he knows a few guys and they give him a lot of stuff. But, right, I mean, work. I don't, you know, <laughs> you hear some things. I mean, like, dude, he's on Egris all the time. Like I used to, I was like, you write more for Egris than you do for the Haver daily news. <laughs> he does. And he's usually accurate when he posts. <laughs> yeah. He's got a couple guys that, you know, close, pretty close to the program. I'm sure Mark feeds him a lot of stuff too. What Mark knows. What the hell is. I will tell you, it's funny because, I have always in, um, envisioned him being a lot older than I'm now thinking he is based on uh, your uh, conversation. Yeah, he's the same age as me. He's 45. So, Well, uh, Ryan, so, um, you know, Mike and I are, you know, here in Missoula. And of course, our, our access and following of the Grizz makes it pretty easy because it's just down the road for us. So it's always kind of an interesting perspective to hear from guys like you. Um, How's it like? What's it been like following Grizz, the Grizz from Seattle, Tacoma, and uh, yeah, through Root or, or through any of those things like that? How's that been for you as a fan? Now that you're out of Montana, uh, some parts are good. Like the inability to stream Root <sighs> irritates the hell out of me, um, you know. And so, like, uh, I like it when I'm able because I'll be on the road for the early games. Like I was in Japan. When I, the Mariners were playing in Japan, they had pictures of me. I wore my Grizz polo, and I was watching the Grizz game. While I'm in Japan, I don't even know what time it was, but, like, I'm at the stadium, supposed to be covering a, an exhibition game there, and I watched the Grizz game the whole time. And I was, in the, um, I was in the White Sox press box, and I made them – I was in the White Sox press box when Montana beat North Dakota State. I wasn't even watching the game I'm supposed to be covering, and I'm yelling at the TV because, I mean – Honestly, I lived in North Dakota for four years and I've been around Bison fans. They can, they can annex the state to North Dakota to Canada. We wouldn't miss it. We have South Dakota. You don't need two Dakotas. South Dakota has the Black Hills. We don't, 
we can just give North Dakota to Canada. I mean, there's not even any more oil there, so what 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 good is it? So uh, I always oh, it drives me nuts. Bison fan. No, I um, what was I saying? Oh, I so I I read a lot on the Missoulian. I try and read the Missoulian. I check in with Twitter, you know, um, and stuff like that. I'll even you know sometimes if I'm bored, I'll put on um, uh, to tell new Anya's in the afternoon, just listening to it. If I'm, you know, like hanging out. Uh, and, and so I just try and read as much as I can, like the game stuff, like I said, the root stuff bothers me. Um, you know, I've kind of found a way my parents have spectrum and so I can get onto their spectrum account and stream it on my Roku, which helps. But yeah, I, I, you know, I'm happy that they're in HD. Remember for a while when everything was in HD, but the Grizz football telecasts were not. Oh yeah. So I'm able to watch and sometimes to my detriment, I'm able to watch, you know, cause I get, like I said, I just get angry. I mean, in fairness, you share a uh, press box with somebody from root sports. I mean, you probably have more contact than we do. Can't you just start complaining to him every day? Say like, Hey, this really isn't relevant to you, but put this up. Yeah, I was like, when I tell him, I like, I pay for Comcast. You know, I, I have Comcast cable and I can't get that. You know, you guys are killing me. You know, and they, um, like Brad Adam and Angie Mentic, they don't really seem to share my pain. Or <laughs> Jen Mueller, they don't seem to get it. I mean, Jen does like going, to, I got her pretty drunk at Reds last year. I think it was last year. Um, but she likes to go down. She loves going to Missoula because she just likes going on the trips. But yeah, I can't get that worked out. And so, you know, I, I do make sure a point to be somewhere where I can get to root on the Saturdays that they're on route. I mean, I do like that the quality of the broadcast is pretty decent. Absolutely. But, but, and it's good for the conference. It really is. I just, I just wish I could be able to stream it if I'm not, you know, directly in front of my TV. Kind of an interesting debate, of course, moving into the 2020 season and COVID and what things are going to look like because you can look at most FBS programs and even a couple of FCS uh, conferences like the, Missouri Valley has ESPN three mm-hmm. um, where, you know, we've got root who picks a handful of games and the rest are not to be found. So, you know, the TV revenue side and what things are going to look like, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what schools do. And of course we don't know what the season's going to look like, but just thinking ahead roots great, but just for the, the conference as a whole, it makes it kind of tough because roots really, it seems like a promotional platform for Montana, Montana State, and then a couple other people here and there, but it's mostly a pushes the the, the heavy views in-state for Montana. Yeah, that I mean, there's a reason why Montana, Montana State are always one of the root games. They'll always have one of them. I mean, you know, you, they'll have Eastern sometimes, and but like they talked about, like the, the place where it really generates the most ratings is in Montana. Those games will generate ratings, you know, and because Montana is so spread out, two people rely on those broadcasts. I mean, like they were saying, they they probably be better off just you know televising every Montana and Montana State conference game, you know, in, in terms of ratings. They don't, and it's part of the deal with the conference. They have to spread it out. And for the Mariners, that's why the, the Mariners, you know, the Mariners own root sports. That's why they have the Big Sky Conference. They don't make, you know, so they any money they make off the ratings or advertising for the Big Sky Conference games is their own. They don't have to share that in terms of revenue with other MLB teams. Anything that has an MLB logo, they have to share revenue on with the other teams from their local broadcast. But what the Mariners love is the footprint of the Big Sky Conference and how oh, yeah. far reaching the conference is. Root Sports is on cable packages in Northern California, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, 
and even parts of Colorado and then Alaska. And so they love that footprint of having all these subscribers all around that gets their, you know, like you've talked about the, whether or not they're a team for the Northwest or not, they, they claim that area because the big sky provides them with such a large cable footprint that they're able to kind of maximize that. Hmm. That makes sense. I mean, if you think about it. Um, I, there was something else. Oh, so on the talking about the ratings and stuff like that, the other thing, and, and maybe you could speak to this being somebody who's been in the Tacoma and Seattle area for quite a while now. I mean, it seems like Seattle is full of Montana expats, like mm -hmm. full of them. So I imagine that, you know, it's like, people who otherwise might be flipping through channels. Like it's like, Oh, if they're from Montana and there's Montana connection, they're more likely to watch that than if East Washington's playing Portland state. For instance. Oh yeah. I mean, the number of Montana people out there is pretty crazy. And you know, what's kind of funny is like, because I'm so vocal about it on Twitter that you, you have Mariners fans that will watch mostly just to spite me and wait for the Grizz to lose, to mock me. Um, <laughs> and a good portion of my, Seattle writing buddies will watch they'll they'll see Montana game on and click on it just to because they'll know I'm watching and then they just got to troll me like they're like Grizzly Cat the last couple of years has been a painful freaking experience for me with with my friends and other people and uh yeah, it just yeah it, it is it's cool though I I'm I'm happy that it's moved forward and then like you know, the Pluto TV, it can be a little rough at times, but just being able to watch the basketball games and not mm -hmm. have to pay for it, I, I think has been really nice as well. It's been a nice addition. Yeah, Pluto's tough. To, I mean, it's tough because some of some schools broadcasts are great. Some are just awful, but it is nice to be able to watch the game. Well, watch most yeah. of the game. Yeah, I really I think complain about something free like that but yeah. I really I was gonna say I really think that the quality of Pluto falls on the schools because for the most part when when it's Montana it's fine when it's MSU it's fine when it's a couple others it's fine and then there's a whole lot and I just I mean we talk about this all the time on here but I just wish we could <clears throat> just force the teams that are going to be in the big sky to actually commit to caring yeah. that's all you know just yeah. care and then we could then we can move on with the ones that don't. Yeah, I can't look like three guys from the AV club are running it while they're, you know, not really even paying attention. That's the problem. Exactly. So you kind of touched on something I was going to ask you about, but what is it like interacting with your Mariners fans when you are talking about Grizz sports? Do you get any sort of like, hey, we're following you for the Mariners, get this shit out of our time frame, timelines? A little bit, but like, I mean, Brent has seen it multiple times, like, you can be a dick to me on Twitter, but just remember I'm better at it than you are. I'm a, I've been a prick since before Twitter and I'm good at like, you know, I'm good at making, I'm good at like, I'll, I'll crush you if I have, cause I have nothing but time too and experience out of, I, I've, I don't mean to do it sometimes, but you know, if the mood strikes me right and I'll quote tweet you and you know, I'm in that kind of pissy mood, I'll, I'll win. I, I always tell people, Cause they would ask me, Hey, do you do online dating? I'm like, no, man, I'm mean to people on Twitter. I don't need my online dating profile. Somebody finds it and posts on Twitter. And I, you know, no, we don't do that. But yeah, it's, it is the, the back and forth is good. I used to be a lot more active in terms of in, interacting with people and answering questions and no matter how stupid or whatever. And sometimes I'd be mean and sometimes I'd be forthright, but it, it's, it can be just too exhausting to sit there and interact with. And like, 
like and just like certain people like following and seeing them do it like that like that ben baldwin guy from the athletic you know who hated aaron Rodgers. Uh-huh. like he he's just the most sanctimonious and arrogant prick on there and it's just like i can't read it you know and i thought like i had to follow him because he wrote writes for the athletic in the seattle area and then like i found out that's not even his real name he's writing under a pseudonym because he has some government job and I guess the government, he doesn't want his bosses to know how much time he's spending writing about football analytics <laughs> and arguing with people over Aaron Rodgers passing percentage on Twitter than actually doing his job. So, oh that's God. why I use a fake name too. So yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. So learn. Yeah. I'm way too late to, to change my identity. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's um, Twitter is a, there's a special place of no human civility or decency, but you know, I, I kind of like Instagram better cause you get like dog videos and stuff. You know, it, it just depends. Like I go in spurts, you know, it, like what I like it a lot. It's very useful though. Like for news, like I, I love to have it for like, if I'm, especially when I'm watching a game and the writers are tweeting, like if I'm watching it and I don't know exactly what's going on or I need to catch up on something, I love having it. But like, I mean like the day, the day I no longer do journalism for a job, I I will be unfollowing a lot of people and putting my Twitter account on private. No more. Yeah, like Marshawn had the shoes hanging over the the the, the telephone line as his retirement thing. Mine will probably just be the double bird and picture of the Seattle Times burning in the background or something. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's like you just you just wonder what it'd be like to not have to worry about that stuff sometimes. So I tell my buddies all the time, you can't get too worked up over it. And they always say, we don't, you do. So Ryan, there, there's specific moments where, where I'll, I'll turn to Twitter just to see your reaction. And usually that's when the Mariners go to extra innings. Oh God. <laughs> which, which you just love. Yeah. Or, uh, and then, uh, well, when Fernando Rodney was the, the closer for the Mariners, you tweet about the Fernando Rodney experience. Did has anyone ever like did Fernando Rodney ever like talk to like did you guys ever talk about that? Did, did, did he follow that on Twitter or anything? No, or? no. Um, but it was funny. Uh, some of his teammates called him the experience after that because they followed <laughs> me on there. Because they were like, they go, they was like the one guy's like, dude, you're so right. It's just like it's buy the ticket, take the ride every time. You just never know what you're gonna get from him. You know, and he doesn't, you know, fall in that stuff. He's like, he's totally ambivalent, but it was, yeah, that was like, for me, it's like, I don't hate extra in games, but when we're on, like people don't get, like a lot of people don't get, we're on deadlines. And so I got editors screaming at me and I'm trying to write, I'm trying to redo all this stuff. And then when Fernando Rodney comes in and messes it all up, I mean, like, yeah, I've had some meltdowns before about that, but yeah, extra is not one of my favorite things. Extra innings and spring training, especially, right? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. They they only have thankfully they only they limit that to ten innings. There's no limit, so that that's good. <laughs> Ryan, where did your uh, where did your uh, disdain for Pitbull come from? <laughs> I mean, like, so you know, like stadiums just play his songs, you know, that let's start the party and all that stuff, and it just is on all the time, and like, like no, no nothing can ruin a, a song more than a stadium. Or Las Vegas, you know, like Las Vegas will have the one popular song. It's in every freaking casino. It's just playing nonstop. And so, yeah, and, and then the more they, so I just would always complain about the music being played in, in 
Safeco Field, now T-Bowl Park. And it just, and I mean, it was people. And then that their freaking DJ would go out of their way to play it just to piss me off. Like I think the very first one of the first all-star games I ever covered Pitbull I was down in Miami I was maybe the second or third one Pitbull was the performing artist the night of the friggin home run derby he's out there in a girl's Marlins jersey dancing around with white pants and gloves on kill me now I'm picking up a theme here where people who know you like to troll you oh yeah accurate oh yes yes they know what buttons to push for me that's for certain because I'll do it back to them, and so it's like I, I mean I, I I take the I'll take it because I know I handed out a fair amount. So yeah, I, I despise Pitbull more than anything. It's just it's just bad music, you know. But so much of it is anymore. It's like you know I I and some of the players like one time one of the players I was making fun of Mike Zanino for using Florida Georgia Line. He goes, I think that's good. I go, I think you need to have. I go, I want to say I think that's why you have 200 strikeouts on the season. But I didn't have the heart to say that. You know? <laughs> Oh, I, I told Kyle Seeger once ago, you got to stop letting your wife pick your walkout music. It's terrible. <laughs> oh, man. Are, people, are these guys ever like, who the hell is this? Yeah. No, Ryan just referenced the two Mariners and then Mitch Hanniger, the only three that most Mariners fans know. The first, yeah. You know. yeah, exactly. D. Gordon. Oh, yeah, D. Gordon. He's still in the team. Yeah, not Felix anymore, though. Um, so – We'll kind of bounce back and forth between the Mariners and the Grizz, but I'm curious. So, I mean, you're in Haver, but you're you're starting your trek back home, or I guess your your work home tomorrow, because at some point baseball is going to start. What do you What do you know about what your what your job's going to look like? Any Any idea at all? Yeah, so we've got some, um, and I may actually uh, we got some um, outlines for it, um, and. So like we can go to the, like during spring training or they're calling it summer camp sponsored by campingworld.com. No. Uh, oh Are you yeah. Kidding? Oh yeah. Oh my God. So um, for that, they'll have workouts throughout the day and we can go into the stadium, uh, sit in the press box in a sign spot, socially distanced, wearing a mask at all times and then watch the workouts. But then all of our interviews will be done by a zoom. They won't hmm. be done in person, at least for now. And then, um, once games start, it'll be similar. We'll be able to go to the park. We'll have a pregame Zoom meeting with the manager and maybe some other stuff, and then um, watch the game, do interviews post-game on Zoom, and then have to be out of the stadium 90 minutes after the last interview. And so it's it's kind of – it'll be weird, obviously. Like, the big part about my job, like being a beat writer, is you want to establish relationships with these players so that, that you know, that they talk to you openly and, you know – you know, it's not like I'm, I'm not trying to be their friend, but I mean, there is a trust factor involved too. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're not going to burn them or whatever. And I, I always, I tell a lot of players like, look, you may not like what I write, but I'll never take a cheap shot at you. I'll never do any of that. You know, I'll never, you know, question effort or anything like that. I'll, I'll write what I see and write what's fair. Um, and so like you build up these kind of relationships because what you really want is for them to tell you, the stuff off the record about what's really going on with the team, stuff that we don't see. And, and so you have to build, you know, you have to build that. And what was crazy is, is I had built those relationships with Nelson Cruz, James Paxton, Mike Zanino, Robinson Cano, and they were all traded in one off season. I was like, all my sources are gone. And even the GM goes, I guess your MLB or Mariner sources aren't so good anymore. Cause he laughed. He knew what was telling me stuff. 
But like now, you know, we've got all these young kids. So you're trying to get them to be comfortable with you to talk to you, you know, openly about what's going on. And, and so with not being able to interact with them face to face or be in the clubhouse any longer, that's going to make it more difficult. You know, it's just more like the podium sessions, the boring ass podium sessions with Russell Wilson, where he gets up and lists off all his teammates and praises God four times and says nothing in 30 minutes. Don't even get me started on that guy. Despise him. <laughs> That's a whole nother pod. Yeah. Uh, whole nother pod. Uh, go Niners. Um, uh, so they don't know the schedule yet. You've got your idea of what, what you can do and not do. What do you think the odds are that this season gets played all the way through? I think maybe 25% with the way it's trending now. You know, I, like, I mean, like, you know, I try, like in a normal season, I go to every road game usually, you know, I travel and they still want me to travel now, but I mean, I don't know if they'll let me travel into Arizona or Texas right now Mm -hmm. um, based on what's going on. So we'll see. I, I, maybe 20%, maybe a little higher. I, I know baseball, baseball's plans in terms of how they're doing stuff and testing every other day and how they like all the stuff that they want to do seems pretty logical. But as I was telling, uh, talking with some of my friends, it's, you, you, there's a trust factor involved. The players aren't with you. You, you can't sequester them in a hotel. There's a trust factor involved that these guys aren't going to be stupid once they leave the park. You can do all you can to maintain social distancing and health guidelines at, while they're there, but then they leave for the end of the day. What happens then? And I think the bigger risk factor in all that is not the players who have, you know, most of them are kind of homebodies anyways. And, you know, you, you do a full day, you're, you're not going anywhere. It's their families. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how do you know what their wives are doing during, throughout the day? You know? And I mean, that's, and that's what I think could be the greater issue is wives, girlfriends, kids, somebody like that, you know, who maybe doesn't follow the guidelines expected. And then, you know, it only kind of takes one to cause a chain reaction. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, are they, is baseball allowing fans? No. They, they think that maybe by the end of the season, they'll be able to allow some, like a very, very small percentage. But not, as of now, no. I mean, with the way the numbers are kind of bouncing up right now, that seems like it just seems so far off. They, they just have to make it through spring training and, and try and get into games without like a huge outbreak on one team, let alone, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get fans back in. That's yeah. kind of crazy thing to think about in any team sport. It's like if, you know, if it hits a locker room, based on what we know now, it's probably going to spread through a good chunk of it. So, like, let's just say it runs through the Mariners' locker room. Do, we, do they just forfeit two weeks of games? I mean, I mean, technically they'll have other guys in reserve. They can bring guys in. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, how do you really know, though? How do you really know how safe these guys are going to be? It's yeah. And what it, maybe the players' union just says, "All right, we're going to shut it down." Like tells the guys, "No, we're not doing this anymore either." Mm-hmm. So it's it's a there's a lot of unknowns. Like they try and you know they try and prepare for all this, but you know you just don't know how it's going to react. And I don't think anybody anybody who says they do would be lying. What about um, the postseason? I guess let's start with this. Do you think that the team that wins the World Series this year? When has a legitimate title similar to any other season, or do you think it's an asterisk similar to what uh, um, what uh, Phil Jackson thought about the strike short shortened seasons in the NBA? Um, well, if the Yankees win it, then there is an asterisk for certain. 
Bullshit. The Yankees the have the best team, roster in baseball. I, I, just, just no. Um, no, I look. You still have to win the games. I, I wouldn't. I mean, obviously, there'll always be an asterisk next to the season because it's sixty games mm-hmm. and it's played under different rules than before. And so, I think there's always going to be an asterisk. But at the same time, you know, players are. You know, what would be weird too is like, you know, like the Dodgers haven't won a World Series since '88. You know, what if they win it this year and other fans are actually going to get there to be able, to, you know, celebrate it? I mean, they'll get celebrated. It's, same with the Mariners. Like, the Mariners haven't made the playoffs since 2001. What if they make it this year and then, like, no fans can actually go watch one of their games? I don't think they're going to make it. But, you know, like, that would be typical Mariners. That they, they would actually make the playoffs in a year where none of their fans can actually go watch and play. For oh, my God. What was the Mariners' record after 60 games last year? Uh, not good. Not good. They oh, were, so it was, like, the first 30 games that they were okay? They, they went 13-2 and two to start, and then yeah. they only won 12 more games to get to 60 after that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a fun three weeks though mike it was cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so you've been around baseball for a while what do you think what is baseball doing right right now not in the covid stuff but just in the big picture of kind of understanding their place in in sports fandom and what are they doing wrong i think they've mostly been doing a lot of wrong um this whole process leading up – and they didn't get an agreement. Like, they were forced back on the field by Rob Manfred based on that agreement they had in March. Um, but that whole bickering between the owners and the union, nobody wants to see billionaires um, billionaires arguing with millionaires over money. And, and psychologically, from a lot of fans' standpoint, they're first to blame the players because so many of those fans are like, you know, they play baseball. Like, I would do this for free. What do you complain about money for? But what they don't fail to realize is that a player's career is finite. 60% of the players in the union right now make less than a million dollars a year. And yeah, granted, we would all love to make 500,000 or whatever the minimum is, but you know, they also have to live a different life, maintain two homes and cities, all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so, and then I was like, no, the, the owners are the ones you should take a look at. They're billionaires. Like you always see that, but like, a million seconds is 11.5 years. A billion seconds is 31.5 years. That's how the difference between a million and a billion is. And these billionaires, and these are multi-billionaire guys, most of whom this, the franchise isn't their main business anyways. Like they, that's the secondary business to what they really earn their money doing. And player salaries are not the reason you charge $14 for a beer. They charge $14 for a beer because they know people will pay for it. Yeah. That's, how they, that's how they can maximize the amount the amount of revenue gained for each of the things that they want to do. So I was kind of, I felt like that was bad. I thought it was very tone deaf to have that argument and for the owners to lowball them as much as they did, oh, knowing yeah. that the players, knowing that the players would react negatively on Twitter and the players finally got smart and did that when and where thing. And that mm-hmm. helped change the, 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 the thing on that, but you know, know your place. Like, you know, the unemployment rate is skyrocketing People are, you know, just barely hanging by. People are sick. People are dying. You're going to be this light to say, hey, look, we're going to have some sports to give you something as a distraction. And then you can't figure it out, and you look bad doing it. And it was like the players and the, the owners especially were trying to get a short-term win or trying to get this win in the short term without understanding the long-term ramifications of what they were doing, how much they're damaging the game. I mean, it just looked bad. It looked – it it just kind of looked gross, and it left you feeling like – there was no defending it. 
I mean, like I, I was asked about it all the time. What do you think? I was like, I have no defense for this. Mm-hmm. Like they shouldn't have tried to win the negotiations. That was the problem. They negotiated like they were doing a regular CBA. What they should have done is just negotiated it with the idea of coming to the best and quickest solution and the safest solution without one side trying to outflank the other in, with the, uh, cause they have a collective bargain agreement coming up after the 2021 season. And even before this, that was trending towards a work stoppage then. And I think it's definitely turning towards one now, but it's just like, you can't, you can't do that. People do not have patience for that kind of bickering, public bickering uh, in this certain, in this kind of climate that we're in right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was pretty tone deaf all around. I agree with you. And I, the thing that kind of stood out to me was this insistence by the owners that it's like, they have to make money on what they do this year. It's like, no other business in America outside of like the the big ones that everybody hates are are making profits this year. You know, it's like yeah. the, the the bars and restaurants around Safeco Field or whatever it's called now. You know, T-Mobile, I guess. Um, you know, they're not making money this year. They may they may have a great finish and break even, but it's like they all closed down for three months. Yeah. And you know, they're just doing what they can to pay their employees. So it's like, and here are the baseball owners being like so tone deaf when they're already billionaires to, to not just be able to break even this year. Yeah. And they're like, so, Oh yeah, no, we're going to lose money. Well, welcome to the real world. We're all losing money. I mean, everybody else, everybody in this world is in debt at some point. And you know, like so many people, especially out in Seattle too, where it's so expensive to live. Like a lot of people live paycheck to paycheck and it just would seem like it just seemed really, it just was really off-putting to see kind of how that was playing out. And, you know, you got the guy from the Cardinals come in and say, oh, you know, we're, we lose money. It's not that much of a money-making business. Bullshit. If, well, it wasn't, yeah. if it wasn't a money-making business, they wouldn't be in it, you know? And then these teams sit there and talk about civic responsibility and, and all their stuff to the community. Where is that then? You know, when, when you're talking about your civic responsibility, your responsibility is to get your ass on the field and figure it out without having to, you know, protract it. And, and and they did, and I, I just I I find the the owners I wouldn't trust the owners as far as I can throw them. That, there's a reason they make all that money, and the reason they operate the way they do, you know, and, and like they have so much control over the players, anyways. Um, and they'll never ever open. See, like the, they want the revenue sharing, so they could essentially have a salary cap, but they'll never completely open the books to oh, show no. what they truly make, like the Yankees make so much money off a of yes network that isn't revenue shared. I mean, the whole purpose, the whole reason the Mariners bought root sports, bought the controlling interest of root sports dated back to when Chris Hansen was trying to build the arena in Soto. And it looked like he was going to get the Sacramento Kings and the Mariners thought if he's going to get this stadium that we don't want in Soto and he's going to have the Sonics, well, we're going to buy root sports and we're going to make money off of him by televising his games because they were actually worried that Hanson would try and buy Root Sports and they'd be, he'd make money off of them. So they proactively went out and bought Root Sports because they'd always had in the back of their mind they were going to do that. And uh, they bought Root Sports with the idea that, look, if, he gets, if an NBA team comes in here, we want that, we want that extra revenue on our station to get you know, help. And, and they're going to do the same with the NHL team as well. Mm-hmm. They're going to try and get, make money off the NHL team because – you know, that's, that's money you don't have to share with the other teams. Like, yeah. I don't – I believe the Yes Network carry – they have – has hockey. They have one of the Rangers or the Islanders. And they've got the Nets, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so you're getting all that. And same with – so then the MSN, um, 
the other one, uh, they have, you know, they have one as well. So it's like, they're never going to tell you how much they truly make on those local TV rights because like, look, as simple as it should be too, they don't let you live. I mean, like they have the, the regional blackouts for MLB, MLB TV. You can't stream because the owners want those cable rights. They need those cable dollars. I mean, realistically, MLB.TV should be, they should lift the blackout restrictions for this year considering oh, yeah. it's all televised, but oh, they yeah. will not do that because they want, they know that cable still feeds them. Even with people cutting the cord, like I know so many people out in Seattle that the only reason they have cable is because of root sports. So they can watch the Mariners games in their summer. They just want that. Same for Grizz fans here in Missoula. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's, it's funny you mentioned that because like the whole blackout and your local markets and MLB TV and MLB just doesn't get the streaming game at all in some ways. And in some ways they do it so well, but then they just botch it and, they're also, and they got better about it last season, but like not letting fans really share video clips. It's like, guys, do you understand how social media works? Like this is good for you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sometimes it's like your, your parents are running or they're, they're making their decisions. They're like, Hey, can you work my iPhone? Where, 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 where's the keyboard at? You know, stuff like that. I mean, the people that you have to program their DVR for them are the ones that are making these decisions without, and with, you know, an eye on, on what you're trying to do to attract a younger fan base. Do you, are you familiar with John boy at all? He's yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that he's one where it's like baseball finally kind of maybe got it a little bit and didn't censor him. Um, you know, cause he would do the, he would take MLB.tv clips and like, you know, do voiceovers of fights yeah. and guys getting thrown out and, on the Yankee Twitter, people would always be waiting for them to get taken down. But the last season, it's like they kind of maybe figured out, like, oh, there might be another revenue option here somehow. Yeah, it's like that pitching ninja guy and some of those guys yep. that do that. I mean, like, yep. why not do what you can to, to spread your product around? Again, like, baseball is still lagging behind football and basketball in terms of popularity in the younger age markets. And, and, and like you guys have kids, you know how they communicate. It isn't looking you in the face and talking. It's looking into a phone and texting. Yep. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely true. Um, it's interesting because streaming, like, I don't know what the answer is, but I have to think that there'd be a way that teams could, teams and networks could jointly recoup the money on a very inexpensive subscription streaming like I would have to think that'd be possible, but what do I know? I mean, it just can't be that complicated. There's gotta be smarter people in the room that can find a way to make it work. Like even if you just charge, like if you really just wanted to be able to watch the Mariners broadcast, then charge somebody, even if it was so like 162 games plus your preseason games that you televise or whatever, then just kind of find a prorated way to say like, we're going to have a one team subscription instead of all the teams, yep. you know, and maybe you do it that way. And it, but it's just, they're so beholden to an antiquated way of thinking. And I tell people, like, look, if you want the Mariners games, that's the way you do it. You can invest in a VPN and, and try and game the system. I know some people do that. That's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And really, you just, all you just want to do, like, I have MLB TV. So, like, on days when I'm not covering a game or whatever, I like to just pop it on and watch, you know, I'll throw, you know especially, you know, you don't have to do it for Yan Yankees, Red Sox, because it's on ESPN every day. But, you know, like other teams, like if I see Max Scherzer's pitching for the Nationals, I'll just flip it on. It's so nice. I have it on my PS4. And, and you're right. The app itself and it works great. You can get 
you know, different broadcasts, everything else. But there's just the idea of getting it out to the right people seems to be lost on them. You know, what's terrible about being a Yankee fan in Montana is um, when they are playing the, the Mariners, I, I, I cannot watch the yes network. I have to watch the Mariners announcers who are a special kind of Homer. So. Yeah, they, they, what's even more amazing is Dave Sims lives in New York, but he's, you know, they're, they're, all, they're on the Yankees. That's, I mean, there's no team that probably Mariners fans hate more than the Yankees. I know, it's good. It's good. So, switching gears, do you, um, what do you think is going to happen with the Grizz season this year? I mean, Brent and I talked about this, and our text messages have gotten more depressing each week. Um, yeah. I don't know. It, it's, I want them, I want there to be a season, but I don't know that there will be. It's just tough with college kids. You know, it's not professional athletes. They're not getting paid. And, and you know, you are putting them in harm's way in some level. And I just don't know that we'll have – that you just can control the environment enough for college kids to make that work. I just don't see it happening. I mean, I, and I don't – you know, as far as on the field, I don't even know – you know, the quarterback situation, everything else. But I, I'm more worried about just having the season, let alone what the results are going to be, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I mean, I, I think that goes for all football. And we were joking about it, that there will be football in the SEC because that's how they roll. But, you know, if it, this doesn't get any better and it continues to get worse and there's no vaccine really on the horizon, you know, that you don't know what's going to happen. And I think, you know, as honestly, to be honest, like vaccine, when you do get one, it should be used on – on people that are uh, at risk and they should use it on kids so they can go back to school and go back to school normally. I don't, you know, that, those should be the priorities first is essential, yeah. essential workers like, you know, doctors, nurses, all those kinds of things. And then, you know, kids and at risk people, because that's the priority. You got to get kids back in school. You know, I have a friend that teaches in Tacoma that said the retention rate for his online learning was maybe 17 to 20%. You know, hmm. kids just aren't even getting on there. You know, and, and that maybe goes to the school district and everything else, but it's not good learning. Kids aren't learning in this regard. You know, I don't think, I mean, I don't know how productive you guys were at work. I work from home all the time anyways, but. It's a lot tougher when their parents for their teachers because yeah. my household, my wife is an amazing teacher, but uh, I am not. So, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, like I, I want there to be a season, but I also don't want kids to be put at risk you know, mm-hmm. either. You know, like, See, that's what I struggle with is like, I think what I really don't want is some half bastardized season where it's like we pushed it when we knew we shouldn't. And then we have all these seniors who only get to play six games and get cut off. And so it's like, at some point it's like, should we be pushing this back? But then realistically, what are the options? Because if you push it back a full year, then you have an extra class of kids and what do you do with them? Yeah. I don't, I don't think any of us really know. And I I don't think there's any good solutions. And I don't think the NCAA has probably helped (laughs) No, yes, but, but yeah, I, I mean, I guess maybe if there was like, like if they had a, a more, um, if, if rapid response testing was readily available and so easy to do, I think you could make it work. Like if you could get the results within 15 minutes, you know, and they have it, but they don't have enough, you know, you know, and, and then again, then you get to the priority is like, are you wasting rapid response tests on, on athletes for games when they might be more better off used somewhere else? So I don't know. I, I, I think a lot of 
people will be watching baseball very closely to see how this goes. But baseball is a lot more distance than football. I mean, like, cow, you're sweating and tackling and God knows what else on each other. I just don't know that it's going to be able to work. I mean, I think there might be an NFL season, but the college season is definitely in jeopardy. Yeah, that, that was something I think we'd had on a previous pod where it was like, you know, NFL or any any professional sports, this is, you know, someone's professional career and it's not student-athletes. Hmm. A big differentiation between the two. Well, and, and like the financial factor involved in all that, one, they're under contract, but two, a lot of those players – once they get in that situation or relying on that money, not just for themselves, but other people as well. And, you know, that's what it comes down to. And I mean, honestly, if you think about it, football is an inherently dangerous game at the NFL level, it's terrifyingly dangerous. And those guys are willing to essentially shorten their lifespan for some financial security of playing the game, you know, and, and that's, you know, it's, that's kind of what they're willing to do because they need that money. And so they're, they're willing to play when maybe the risk is higher. Um, I think what you're seeing though is, you know, if you have a kid who is, has underlying health risks, that's when you worry, you know, like Mike Leake, the baseball player that, that um, announced he was going to opt out and not play this season. You know, his dad went to Montana state. Uh, and so when I was covering the, when Mike first got traded the grit or to the Mariners, I wear grizz gear all the time. And, and, Lee came in wearing a Montana state hat one day and I go, where did you get that piss pot on your head? <laughs> and he's just like, he goes, Oh, whatever, Grizz boy. And I, so I asked him, he says, Oh, you know, my dad actually went to Montana state and you know, we still go there every summer. We go to big sky every, every winter. And we have a place up there that we kind of meet at. Well, when Lee signed his contract, he asked his dad to build this cabin. His dad was building, built log cabins in college and he was building this big house a log cabin house for Mike. I think it was kind of by big sky or maybe it was near immigrant. And um, the dad fell off the roof and broke his back and is paralyzed. And so Mike and his wife helped take care of him, you know, along, you know, they kind of live adjacent. So he has got severe under, you know, when you're paralyzed in your organs, he's got underlying health risk, you know? And, mm -hmm. and, and I think that's one of the things that Mike took into consideration is like, look, do I want to run the risk of having my dad get sick because I'm out playing baseball, whether it's me or my kids or somebody that gets near him, you know, I mean, I think Mike always feels inherent guilt anyways for how that went down I mean, the house. They never, they never finished that house. He sold the land. He never went back. Um, but you know, things like that, I, you know, guys, I think it's, that's what you worry about more as your kids than yourself or your parents, you know, family more than yourself. I think, kind of way it was with me. Like I didn't come back to Montana right away just because my, my parents are older and you don't want to be that person to be the one and Haver hadn't had a case and I didn't want to be patient zero and Haver. <laughs> Probably good. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think we're going to see more of that too, of people opting out. It's hard to, it's hard to criticize any of them because every reason is going to be legit. Yeah. I mean, if they, if they have the financial worth all to do it, then so be it. And, and maybe it gives it somebody else that, might not otherwise have gotten the opportunity, a chance to play too. Yep. Um, maybe moving back to a little bit more positive type topics. Uh, <laughs> Ryan, when you like when you were covering the Grizz, um, what was some like one of your best or some of your best kind of just memories or moments or events that you saw? Um, hmm. that's a pretty good one. Uh, I loved. Um, 
Well, I mean, you know, obviously, obviously, like the fairest catch in the in the corner, and and mm-hmm. you know, I wrote a I wrote a, a story on Vince Huntsberger for the game day time, and I got like a national award for it. And it was funny because Vince was a friend of mine, and so getting him to do the story and getting him to talk about himself was just like pulling teeth. <laughs> and, I went, and I went and followed him to, to his classes because he was in all these hard ass doctor classes, you know. So I went to classes with him. And that made him even angrier at me for doing that, you know. And and so that was always fun. So anytime he did anything great, you know, he's a friend of mine. Um, I thought that was great. I, I, uh, I'm trying to think what other ones. Are. I love the, uh, was it Rick? Was Ricky Ray, the quarterback for Sac State that fumbled that? And was it, yep. was it Damon Parker? That, yep. Yeah. Yep. That was, that was one of my favorite things ever. I mean, just, and I remember being in that press conference and the Sac State coach was kind of a dick and he was so angry. It just made me so happy. I was just like, oh, God. <laughs> it was just funny. Like they had it, you know, and they oh, thought, they were they, in they, it. yeah, that I mean, it. That game, yeah, it was going to be their first time beating them and just you know, a little bit better than the Sac State game this year, I guess. But um, yeah, those are probably some of my favorites. Um, you know, couple of times when John Edwards had some success after his mom passed away, you know, Mick Denny, he put him in that one time to try and score near the goal line. I really loved when, um, when, uh, and I got to know him a lot more, but when, when uh, Bobby that one year, I think it was against Idaho brought out Kyle Sampson and they ran the freaking triple option. I thought oh, that yeah. was the coolest thing, you know, and um, you know, when I was living in Haver and covering, or was the sports editor for the Haver Daily News, Mark Sampson, his dad lived right next door to me. And oh, yeah. uh, he was the head coach at Northern. So, and then Kyle was the assistant. There was playing there at the time. But yeah, that was, I remember that triple option play, you know. Um, I mean, I went to Bozeman for the, I was in Bozeman for the Hepner kick. I was in the Bozeman student section. And uh, all my friends that were, we were staying with, they were go, hey, we're going to go down and tear down the goalposts. And it was like, you know, right after, as a Kinnaman scored, and so then Hepner makes a kick, and me and my buddy Rick Reynolds and are going crazy in the Bozeman student section, and they're, like, throwing stuff at us. And our friends come back, and I was like, hey, I thought you were going to tear down the goalposts. <laughs> and they were just – they just – they were so angry at us. And then that was the same weekend, I think. I had this, like, one of those Grizz – I don't know who gave it to me. It was, like, one of the official Grizz coaches' hats. or the hats that the quarterbacks wore. You know, I'm kind of dark-skinned and, you know, and so we're in Bozeman, and I had that hat on. And, uh, and like, my buddies from Bozeman are like, who do you think you are, Brian Ayat? You know? And so that, that, that's what they were calling me all that night was Ayat because he was on the team. And we went down to the bars downtown, and, you know, got a little lippy, and and somebody was, like, kind of got in my face because I, I was chirping to my friends about the Grizz. Who do you think you are saying that in the Bozeman bar? I think we're in the Legion. He shoved me in the chest. I shoved him back. I go, I'm Brian Ayotte. Who the fuck are you? (laughs) (laughs) And my buddy's like, oh, yeah, pull him off. Gotta go. Gotta go. (laughs) Oh, man, that's good. So, I mean, obviously you're a Grizz fan like a lot of us. In a world where we're having a season, what do you think of this team? It's like for you all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean, I, I figure Bobby would do that eventually. You know, some of his better players, you know, I mean, like some of the better players that the Grizz have had have come from by the transfer out. I mean, my God, those videos of are the when I watched the the, 
the championship game and Joe Douglas smoking Joe Douglas. He was like, I just remember when he got him. Cause like, you know, the Grizz had had all those kind of smaller receivers. I mean, they had Guernsey who was like a fullback playing receiver and, you know, they had all these guys and then Joe Douglas was just a different kind of athlete. And you notice like, okay, this is, this is what it can be like. Um, I'm curious about the quarterback situation. You know, I, I'll, you know, how that'll go. I mean, I, you know, the kid from Issaquah did okay when he had to fill in for Snead. But, you know, I watched some of the highlights of this this guy from uh, the transfer. Was it South Florida? Was it South mm-hmm. Florida? Yeah. I, you know, he's not big. I like that he can move a little bit. I feel like that when you have a quarterback that can really move, it makes that offense go a lot more. Um, so I'm curious about that. I mean, they've got, they got good pieces around. I think my, my biggest concern, and, and I was very vocal about this, this year after Grizzly Cat and how they will I got, look, I don't like it when they lose the cats, but you know, that's going to happen. It's football, but how they lost this year, that bothered me. I don't, and I know about it, Bobby, because he doesn't believe in them being pushed around, you know, and they got physically manhandled. Yep. They got physically manhandled without Troy Anderson, even te- stepping on the field. And they got, you know, they're giving up five and six yards of run. I mean, it was just, you know, and that was what was disappointing to me. You know, I, I covered Kent Bear a little bit when I was in um, – when he was at UW for Tyrone Willingham. And, sure. and I, um, I t- I'm on a text thread, and I damn near tweeted it out. Well, I was like – I said, Kent Bear should be fired at halftime on the 50-yard line of Bobcat Stadium in front of everybody and then forced to walk back to Missoula. <laughs> I, was like, I just cannot take, you know, how they were losing. Like, just, you know – that isn't what Bobby Ball was like, you know. He was always, you know, they were always the aggressor. They were always a hammer, not the nail. And I felt like that identity maybe isn't there yet. And that comes with, you know, you need a couple classes and you have the right pieces in place. But that bothered me more than anything. Like I, and I, I think when you get some guys back, you know, you lose Dante, and, you know, uh, you lose some guys, but you get, you have a level of physicality that I think was missing at times last year. You know, and that, that, and I, I'm hoping that that if they are on the field, that that kind of comes back. The more, you know, the more Bobby is around again, and and the more of kind of what he wants to do is around. Um, he want that more. I think we saw there was an example we'd seen online where Andrew Schmidt actually talked about this from the 2004 Grizz team that went to James Madison or played. Was it James Madison in in the national championship mm-hmm. and? Uh, Bobby came back and said and realized that they just got, you know, they had a talented team, talented skill players, but they did not have the talent in the trenches that they needed. And kind of that was this awakening moment that they need to build that. And then you had 05 and 06 and then 07 got a little better. And it took them, it took them three full years, three full seasons to kind of get back to that point of being the team that they want now built. So, yeah, I mean, it seems like he knows where he wants to go, but. I think it's just harder to get there than it was before, don't you think, though? I mean, like, there are better teams in the league. You, you know, Weber has seemed to figure something out. You, you have Eastern. You have, you know, Sac State. All these different – the teams are better a little bit. And, and, and the Grizz just – even, you know, obviously the Cats are better. And the Grizz just can't walk into rooms and expect to get every guy, you know, the guys that they want. They have to actually battle for them a little bit. The talent level is better in the league, and they have to play real games a lot more. I think that wears on you too. You know, at the FCS level, you just don't have the kind of depth to withstand injuries either. You lose a guy, or you lose a key guy, and that just crushes you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I mean, that was because, I mean, even 10, 15 years ago, it was like, if you were an FCS level talent, um, Montana was like the premier place to go to on the Western side of the U.S. Um, now we're not, it's North Dakota State. And other programs are much more competitive in the recruiting. And yeah, it's totally a different game out there now. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I thought Eastern, you know, under Bo Baldwin, Bo, Bo Baldwin, he, you know, he's a Tacoma guy. And so I, um, you know, I covered him at, or, you know, I would have to cover the recruiting class. And, you know, I knew some stuff about him at Central. And I'd have to, every year I'd have to write, when I was at Tacoma, I had to write about Eastern's recruiting class and stuff. And he got, got to know me, he knew I was a Grizz fan. And so the one year, the one year, I think it was the very first year after Cooper Cup, <laughs> who seemed to play 40, 47 years of college. He was there forever, forever. Yeah. Um, after the freshman year of Cooper Cup, and I, I go to call his cell phone, and he goes, oh, I've been waiting for this phone call for a while. And I was like, you know, I don't need to hear this. <laughs> I was like, I got to find somebody else to cover. Uh, and he covered them. He was really cool, though. He was going to let me come out and basically, like, for a full week, follow him around to everything he did. When he was at Eastern, I was just going to write a big like profile about him and how it works and his system and everything. But the one caveat being it could never be during Grizz Week. I was like, I don't want to come out there anyways. I was like, I don't know what you, th- I don't know what you think. Like I'm that close to, I'm going to be calling them up. I mean, I don't know. He's Eastern a really, coach. That's exactly what he thinks. They're yeah, all paranoid. Yeah, Eastern really capitalized on a lot of the Tacoma and Seattle and kind of that area out there, that corridor along I five of players that were just under the radar, maybe not good enough to go to the Pac-12, a lot of them academic reasons or whatever, but they were able to capitalize on a lot of the, I mean, I've, I covered the uh, Johnson twins uh, at Tumwater in high school. And like, I remember talking with Guernsey. I was like, how are, how is Montana not recruiting? I mean, he goes, well, they want the one, they don't want both. They go, but they're a package deal. He's like, I don't know, but they don't, you know, it's some guys like that. There were some really good players out there. And Montana had a little foothold in there. You know, they got the Bellevue kids and some stuff like that. And then it kind of dried up. And obviously you change coaches enough times too that, you know, that made a difference. Because I thought even like uh, Flugrad had a lot of connections in the Washington, Oregon area and was able to get some really good players there. You know, and it, unfortunately, you know, I don't, I'm not, um, I'm not, like that Pollyannish to know that you can't just survive on only Montana kids. You just can't it, to be where you want to be. You have to go out and get players from other players. You just, you, you can't win with only Montana players, you know, for every Mark Mariani and Colt Anderson, there are plenty of guys that just you, shows that you can't play at that level. And as the competition grows and the recruiting gets better and there are more and more good players out there, you have to expand. And I think, no, I know Bobby will do that. I mean, if, even if you have to go to transfer out, more other teams are doing it. You got to do it too. It's like, look at Gonzaga basketball. I mean, that's all they live on is transfers, you know, because he kind of know. Again, if they're a grown ass man coming in, you don't have to do as much. Yeah. You know, I mean, Craig, I'm trying to think of, I mean, Drew Miller, Craig Oaks, nope. who else did they have, you know, some pretty good transfer QBs that have come in and, and really helped them when they needed it. Don Sneed, I mean, I'm late. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Thompson should have been here instead, but you know, I, now he's a now he's a husky. So yeah. yeah, I saw him in high school as well. I, you know, I used to. You I guys were in like, high school at the same time, right? 
No, yeah, it seems <laughs> like it. Yeah, I I always like going to the you know they have the they used to they don't anymore but they'd have on Thanksgiving weekend they'd have semifinals in the Tacoma Dome and they'd have all the four A three A semifinals at Tacoma Dome. It was fun just to get go in there sit in there all day and watch some really good you know there's a ton of D one athletes playing in there. <laughs> Boy. Brent, anything else you want to touch on on uh, Chris football before we get to, um, you know, the important stuff from the Twitter users? Yeah. <laughs> the Eagles questions and the Twitter questions. Um, I, good. I have some before we get to anybody else's questions. So my, uh, my older brother has lived in Seattle for 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's a loyal pod listener and he's also – when he moved to Seattle, he's one of the few people that went from being fans of a, you know, wonderful baseball operation of the New York Yankees to Mariners. Yeah. Uh, and so he's basically destined himself to 20 years of heartache. Um, but I told him you were coming on and um, he had some questions. <laughs> Let's go. First of all, he just wants your take on the fact that the M's have the longest active postseason drought in all of pro sports at 18 years and counting. Yeah, I mean, two years ago when they first got a hold of that streak, uh, I think it was the Blue Jays when they made that the playoffs a few years ago. So I wrote the whole special section previewing the fact that they had the longest drought going into, I think it was going into the 2018 season. I wrote, I went and talked to all these former GMs and the uh, headline was mistakes were made. It was a quote from one of the mistakes were made. Yeah. It's like, look, I think the Mariners want to win. I think their ownership wants to win. I just don't know that they always had the ownership that knew how to win or was willing to do the uncomfortable things that it takes to win. And they made some bumbling hires in terms of GMs and managerial choices. And that hurts you. And you screw up a trade, you screw up a draft. When you don't take Troy to when you were going to plan to take Troy Tulowitzki all the way up until the day before the draft and decide, well, maybe we need a catcher, and they take Jeff Clement instead, that that hurts you a little bit. You don't take Tim, you don't take uh, uh, Lincecum, Timmy Lincecum, who's playing at UW, and he wins three Cy, or two Cy Youngs and leads the Giants to World Series, and you take Brandon Morrow instead, who never pitched a healthy game. I mean, you, those mistakes cost you for years. You trade Adam Jones for Eric Bedard. You know, you don't really get to walk those back. I have a Brandon Morrow bobblehead still for the record. <laughs> so follow up to that. Um, he and I have talked about this quite a bit, but I, I've always maintained that Seattle is actually a really good baseball town. And his take on it is that at this point, he thinks Seattle used to be a good baseball town, but I think the pessimism in him is worried that the last 20 years or 18 years of, of this has allowed it to really become a football and soccer town. And it's hard to argue with that because the, the Seahawks have become like another level popular, you know, during that time. And MLS, I don't know if there's a more popular city in America for MLS soccer than Seattle. Um, so what are your take on that? Like, do you think that if the Mariners were suddenly good again, that it snaps back? Or do you think that they've permanently damaged their brand? No, I think it would snap back pretty quickly because people just crave the Mariners so much. They want – and baseball is so constant in the summer. You have games all the time. And, you know, when they're good, even like I think it was 2017 or 2016 when they were good, it, you really saw the attendance start to pick up. You know, I, I mean, I think there is a segment of the fan base that will never come back. And, and it is expensive to go to these games. But, like, you know, 
Seattle weather is shitty for most of the year. So when you get into July and August and it's a nice night at Safeco Field and you have a good product on the field, people are going to go. It's the place to go. And I think, you know, if they get good again, people will go. I think there will be a fair amount of skeptics. But for the most part, they'll try. It is still a football town. It is a football town. There is just nothing but neck tattoo wearing 12s running all over that area. And my buddy Alex Akita, who's on Twitter, who is one of my professional tormentors who torments me, controls me he always you know he, he is the big key or you know the 12s a 12 since 2012 that's how long they've been a Seahawks fan mm-hmm. so like there'll be some Jim Zorn was it for you 12s Jim Zorn was a quarterback for the Seahawks or two folks <laughs> you know Chuck Knox was a quarterback so he just lives for that stuff but no it is a Seahawks town I mean they 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 put in the time you you have that sort of success that's what it becomes and you know we saw to not quite an extent, but Husky football was starting to come back. Soccer is a weird one. I think the people that go to soccer are soccer fans, but like in our coverage and stuff, and that may be the writers that we use or who we have covering it, but they don't read a ton on soccer. Whereas like anything we write about the Seahawks or Russell or whatever, you put it in a headline, they read. And it's similar with like anything we write about Felix Hernandez back then, it was read. You know what I mean? That's the way it was. Mm-hmm. So I think it will come back, but it'll never equal the Seahawks ever again. And yeah, and that's true for baseball everywhere. I mean, yeah. all these towns that used to be baseball towns, football is just – it's become more of a, a thing. And I think you're right It's because football is more of an event where ba- as baseball is more of a constant. Mm-hmm. And I really think that makes a difference in how people approach it. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, like, you know, I mean, baseball, there is like a segment of baseball, though. It is just comforting having it there every day, knowing there's a game every day. But, yeah, I mean, like, I'm trying to think of where baseball might be more popular, maybe in Los Angeles and maybe in New York on some level, you know, cause the Yankees just, I mean, the Yankees are a national franchise, unfortunately. Um, but I can't think of very many other places. St. Louis, I guess, obviously, but they don't have a football team anymore. So. Right. Uh, oh, go ahead, Brent. Oh, no, you're good. I was going to say side note on that. Uh, you, you mentioned other teams. Do you kind of develop relationships with other beat writers from other teams just by virtue of kind of seeing each other so often, or do you find that that's not as common as I might? Oh, no. Yeah. I I got a ton of friends that are beat writers around the country. Um, You know, a lot of it too is like all-star games or winter meetings and stuff where we're drinking and hanging out. So it's kind of funny. They have like, I'm in the middle at 45. I'm kind of in the middle. I'm not an old guy. Cause like they have some of the really old guys and then they have all the young guys, like a bunch of those guys that write for the athletic and stuff. So I'm somewhere in, somewhere in the middle, and I get along with both sides, which is really odd because the old guys really hate the new young guys. And <laughs> for some reason, they, the old guys like me, probably because I drink like I'm an old guy, but the young guys like me because I stay out late like the young guys. So I call the young guys, like the athletic guys, the skinny jeans mafia because they're all wearing skinny jeans. One of the kids one time, he was asking me. I said something, you know, and we are just having a conversation. He's like, he looks at me, he goes, seriously, like, you beat up guys like us when you were in high school, didn't you? I go, I wouldn't say beat up, but I put a few of you in your locker. Fair, fair enough. I, and I imagine those relationships kind of help. Like if the Mariners make a trade, you might be like, Hey, what do you know about this guy? Like kind of some background and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Ton of time. We are always texting back and forth. Yeah. Like different text threads or emails. Yeah. You get background all the time on guys. Um, Back to, you know, my, my brother's heartbreak questions here. He, um, he says hypothetically, but I think this is a halfway serious question. 
Could the M's refuse to play this COVID-shortened season and thus guarantee a non-losing season? <laughs> I think I've seen somebody else ask that one before. Mm-hmm. I don't, you never know. They, they, they might not have a choice in that matter. But, I mean, they've had winning seasons, you know, more. You know, I was going back and looking. Somebody made a comment, like, playing meaningful games in July. And I was like, I had to cover them. They're meaningful. Oh, yeah. So, I, it hasn't – they haven't been as – they just – you know, part of it is the happenstance of being in a division with the Astros, too, which has really hurt them. But Wasn't there a season a couple of years ago where it's like they were – they had a chance in September and then it just – I mean, yeah. 2016, it was the last day of the season, I think. Yeah. And then they just – you know, the A's won that game and they were they were going to have to go into a one-game playoff. Um, so, on the more serious stuff, how long before all this young talent the M's got and all their files, fire sales start showing some promise? Or is that years away? Does this help? Does this short season help or hurt them? It hurts them because they, they're not getting at bats and games. I mean, I think it slows them down by year. They were hoping to have some traction towards being good next year in 2021. I always kind of pointed to 2022. But I think that's maybe where you see it because they have a ton of young guys. They have a lot of young talent. But, you know – when you're not playing games, you're not developing as a player. I mean, you can only hit BP so much. To, you're not going to get better unless you play games. And, you know, it's not just major league games. They're going to have a lot of these young guys playing major league games, but your top prospects aren't playing in the minor leagues either. That's a good point. And then last question from him. What are the M's going to do with D. Gordon? Uh, I They're going to start him. They're going to have him with the team right now, but I don't know that he'll finish the season out with them. He's going to be a free agent after this year. And so, I mean, he has a – they have an opt-out or buy-out clause. But, yeah, he's not going to be around. He's not going to play very much because they want to play shed long at second base. So, I mean, I could see a scenario where the Mariners get into a roster crunch or something and they have to make a move and they need to clear up a roster spot that they just released D. I mean, they they were always going to try and trade him, but a lot of people weren't really interested in picking up his deal. And, you know, he just hadn't performed lately. He's been hurt too much. Mm-hmm. Mike, are you hoping he goes to the Yankees? Um, <laughs> I don't even know who he is. So <laughs> I, the Yankees have pretty good talent at every position right now. So if he can't play on the Mariners, will he play on the Yankees? Honest question. No. No. Brent, if you want to start jumping into our, our listener questions. Yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, we have some Twitter questions. A lot of Pitbull posts, but we'll score to those. <laughs> Your followers know you. <laughs> so uh, Mike Capaletti asks uh, kind of a two-part question. Uh, question one, please compare and contrast the struggles of the Grizz and the Mariners since 2010. It seems maybe both programs need to find their way back to the mid-late 90s. How and, why the, how and why has this happened? And then his follow-up question is, what is more unfathomable for you, Ryan, Wearing an Eastern Washington T-shirt or an Astros T-shirt? Oh God, I, I think I have an Astros T-shirt on a giveaway that I probably wore somewhere, but I'm wearing an Eastern one. I just couldn't. Um, I'd, I'd rather go. I'd rather go shirtless in a Montana winter than wear an Eastern Washington <laughs> shirt. Um, yeah, I think. Look, like the 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 similarities between the two are just like. When you have change in your program or in your organization and you have, you know, a few mistakes 
you know, in the, when you make those changes or when you're in an effort to win, that's, you know, can derail you. And it only takes one season to derail you for two or three or one bad decision. You know, like look, the situation with Flugrad was, you know, that, that was turmoil. That was turmoil. I mean, like I was at that Eastern game where, you know, Montana blew the 13 point lead in, in a matter of a minute 28, I think. Oh, I was me on too. The that one hurt. Oh. I was on the sidelines. I had a press pass. I had I just had shoulder surgery, so they got me a press pass because I couldn't sit in the stands with my friends. And I just wanted to freaking throw. I just I like I couldn't react. I just was so angry, you know. Um, but you know things like that. So like you know you lose a head coach where you're having success. It takes one bad recruiting class, you know, to mess things up. You know, look at the one the one Joe Glenn class. I mean, that they only had like four guys remain, that hurt them. You know, when you have a down recruiting class, you had some, you get some NCAA stuff oversight coming in. I mean, I think that hurts them. It's the same with the Mariners. You have some bad drafts, you make some bad trades, you make the wrong hire for manager or general manager, all those things. You know, when, when you have change from what is successful, and I think obviously some change is going to happen if you are successful, coordinators leave, coaches leave, things like that. But when you, when you, when you change the head spot, as many times as the as the Grizz had to do for a program that is successful and is you know makes as much money and, and has as many fans, they still had to change head coaches for a lot of times, and that's a problem. You know, and it changes. You know, you just you know, there's always that lull when that happens. All right, and not just changes like you know North Dakota State's next man up, but I mean like changes where guys came in and like changed the program. Yeah. Like, like I know Robin worked for Hauk, but philosophical changes where that that isn't always a good thing when you drastic philosophical changes aren't always a good thing <laughs> some forced oh. some some by design ryan we know you're a, a very loyal listener of the gris fan pod and mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so uh oddly enough we have a we have a follower on egris who lives in portland and he always asks us these crazy ass hypothetical questions now he oh god he didn't ask us, but oddly enough, we have a Twitter question from someone who appears to be a Grizz fan but does not follow uh, Grizz fan pod, I don't think, or, or, or maybe he does, but doesn't follow a couple of us. Kyle Dyrud asks a very CDA Grizz type of question. So here's your choices. You have two options. Uh, choose one. Due to COVID, you, uh, fans are not allowed to be in the stands or tailgate for the next five years. But the Grizz win three national championships, but lose to the Cats every year. Or option two, full attendance is allowed along with tailgating. The Grizz beat the Cats, but they always lose in the quarterfinals of the playoffs. What's your choice? Good Lord. <laughs> I mean, it's like. I think we found CK's Twitter account. I mean, it's I like, it's just like. Are you going to get kicked in the balls or punched in the balls? I mean, like, <laughs> um, uh, national titles, three national titles in five years. But you can't go to any of them, right? And then the Cat fans every year get a gloat that they beat you anyways. They, yeah. I don't know, though. Those national championship trophies are pretty good. I think I'd probably still go with that. I mean, like, I, I declared this year that I will not buy another piece of Grizz clothing until they beat the Cats. Cause I buy a lot of Grizz clothing and I won't buy any Grizz clothing till they, I bought a dog collar for my parents' dog, but I will not buy any more Grizz clothing until they beat the cats. I mean, I've been wearing it. Haver's got a lot of cat fans and I've been wearing it all week. <laughs> so, um, 
I still think, yeah, I'd still take the national championships. Yeah, I probably would too. I mean, like if, you know, it's just like, it's like the hypothetical would I, you know, would I rather sit in a room with 25 people that are COVID tested positive or 25 Bison fans? Probably the COVID people. (laughs) So it'll be interesting because I, I mean, three national championships is a lot. And first of all, I losing the cats and winning the national championship in the same season. I, I would, I would take losing the cats and winning the national championship because it's like the one thing that you can be like, so what, you know, we just, I mean, what did you do? We, after the game, we went and won the national championship. So that I could deal with the part. And I think that maybe this year is going to help us answer this question more is that I think in the past, I've said that at some point, no, because the whole point of Grizzly football is the experience, but yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, I think we brought it up before, but people have talked about let no fans in the stadium might even out this Grizz team where they're more consistent, especially when it comes to road games, but we'll see. Uh, okay. So Nate Sloan on Twitter uh, tweeted us a photo, Ryan, you probably maybe saw it a uh, picture of Ken Griffey Jr. Wearing a Montana Grizzlies football t-shirt. And just said, if you had any background, would appreciate uh, any backstory on how it happened uh, or any insight on that, uh, that photo that's, that's floated around of Griffey in the grizzly shirt. Uh, so um, when, Ken, when Ken came back uh, in 2010, I think, 11, I don't remember exactly what year it was. Maybe it was 12. And so, I, I, you know, I got to cover him and we got to be, you know, pretty decent relationship. And I always wore, you know, again, I wore my Grizz football clothing all the time. And he notices every little detail. Well, at the time, a guy named Alan Wordola, who was from Geyser, Montana, who I played Legion against, he went to Montana State, and he was the, Mar- the Mariner strength and conditioning coach. So one time I come walking in to the spring training room, and Ken Griffey Jr. is wearing a Bobcat football t-shirt and I was like oh my god I was like you need to take that off right now I go that's disgusting I go where did you get that and then I remembered that that Alan had gone to Montana State uh and so he wore that and then the next day he had on a Travis Lule jersey and I just about threw up and so um and so I was just like you got to be kidding me so I said to him one time like you know we had pretty good I said like look you got to get a Grizz shirt and wear it. And he goes, well, if you buy me one, I'm like, you make like a, you make like 15 million a year and you're making me buy you a Grizz shirt. He goes, well, if you want me to wear it. So I was in Missoula. I went back to Missoula. I stopped at the bookstore, got a Nike Grizz shirt. Cause he only wore Nike too. He's sponsored by Nike. So I bought a <laughs> Nike Grizz shirt and I made him wear it. And uh, we got a couple pictures with him wearing it. So he, you know, he wore it a couple other times too. And, you know, and he is that guy. When uh, two years ago, or not when last year, or not or two seasons ago, when uh, when the Grizz fumbled on the one, I got a call from Ken Griffey Jr. in Red's Bar to tell me, "How oh. can you drop the ball?" Oh like, no! He goes, "You can't." And then, like, I saw him. I saw him later that year at spring training. And the first thing he says, he comes up and he's holding the baseball. And so he acts like he's in drive. Oh, maybe I'm a Grizz football player on the one yard line. <laughs> You know, I don't need this in my life right now. I was there. I, I was at that game, and I did not enjoy it. So I don't need you giving me crap about this. And uh, he takes great pride in that. And so 
I was just even the other day he was, we did a zoom call with him before that documentary. And he was talking about his son going to Florida A&M to play college football. And I said, he go, uh, why not go Why did you send him to Montana? And he was like, he goes, if I sent him anywhere, it'd be Montana state. And I'm like, you oh. know, I don't need that. So, oh. but he's now he's a really good guy. And I, I like interacting with him. But so he, I gave him the Grizz shirt. We, we, he wore it. Uh, one of the cameramen from Root was from, he's from Ronan and he was a Grizz guy too. So we took some pictures of him in it. Remember sent it, posted it on Facebook and people were like, couldn't believe that we got him to wear that. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see here. So Kelly Patrick Harris has uh, some questions for you. Um, number one, please have ryan rank his top five red dirt country artists and two all around who has more all-around talent the mariners or the um intramural softball team <laughs> uh mariners still have all more all-around talent i, I want to i will say that we won intramural softball the one year i was there but we had a bunch of the football players on my team so that helped a little bit and, and after years of getting beat up by football players in the intramural basketball league, I got on their team, which made it a lot more fun as well. Um, okay. So Red Dirt Country is based out of Texas and Oklahoma. Um, I've really gotten into that the last, you know, eight or nine years. Um, my favorite bands and probably some order would be Randy Rogers band, Turnpike Troubadours, Whiskey Myers, uh, Hayes Carl, and then those are four. I don't know. Let me look at my Spotify thing here. Um, that was Whiskey Myers. Yeah. Uh, what about Little Uzi Vert? No. <laughs> um, oh, and then probably Reckless Kelly. So Randy Rogers Band, Turnpike Troubadours, Whiskey Myers. Reckless Kelly and Hayes Carl. Those are my favorites, probably. I went to Whiskey Myers at the. I hadn't, I hadn't gone to a show at the New Wilma. It was sweet. I, I man, it was. I went to Whiskey Myers. It was sweet. I thought that was pretty cool. I still haven't got to go to any of the outdoor places yet. I, I you know, want to get there. I've been. I mean, doesn't concerts like seem like the most far off thing in the world? Yes. Yes, they do. It's like a staple, like especially in Montana. Some like a random Tuesday summer night in July. Yeah. Great concert, and this year it's nothing. Yeah, yeah. I had tickets to Sturgill Simpson and Tyler Childers at, in in Dahlberg, uh, and you know, I obviously got canceled. And I I hadn't given the three hundred and fifty dollars for the Guns and Roses ticket at Washington Grizz, so I'm feeling better about that. <laughs> I got a, I got uh, six GNR tickets. So I got to file for a refund on. Yeah. Uh, all right, so I think our last Twitter question maybe that we've got here. Oh, no, we have two more Twitter questions. So uh, Brian Marceau, who's with the Tubs in the Club podcast, it's, uh, they're Idaho Vandals fans, and I know they're, they're Mariner fans as well too. Uh, he's wondering who, um, Ryan, without, knowing, without doing a deep dive into the schedule, who do you think would be the dark horse candidates for the big sky? Let's just say if the 2020 season happens. Uh, Davis, UC Davis, Portland State, or the Idaho Vandals? Idaho sucks. Um, <laughs> um, I'd probably say Portland State. Uh, Bruce Barnum, 
you know, I knew him. So I covered Idaho State. He was the offensive coordinator at Idaho State. And he would take us every week to lunch before their games to kind of go over what their offensive game plan was going to be. We couldn't write about it, obviously. But he just kind of wanted us to know why they were doing what and what their personnel grouping was. And so I always thought that was kind of cool, like he would do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I just got along with him really well. And so I remember when they when they beat um, when it was beat WSU, I, I emailed him and, and talked. I emailed back and forth with him a little bit. And uh, so I I think you know, and I was there uh, a few years ago at homecoming when Montana laid that stink bomb against Portland, a winless Portland State game team as well. So I'll say Portland State. I don't know a ton about Davis. Um, they lost some good players, didn't they? Davis did, yeah. I mean, is the is is Petrino? I can't. Paul Petrino's a psycho. I don't know if I can. They've got a they've got a transfer. I think Idaho has a transfer QB. A UConn guy from UConn. Oh yeah, that's right. Because well, that Petrino could couldn't even throw up fifteen yards on the fly. No, he was terrible. And I mean, and and and. and and Paul is kind of a psycho, so uh, I, I'll say uh, Portland State. Well, I think Tubbs in the club potentially agrees with you because Portland State is only one of two teams in all of the Big Sky uh, that returns their starter at QB. Yeah, he's a kid from I think Vancouver, uh, Washington. I remember. Yeah, I, I mean, I was, like, I was impressed with that Grizz game last year. That kid got demolished in the oh, game. Oh yeah us and he jumped back up and kept and kept going i mean there there was some hits i mean I, I, he needs to learn how to strap put his helmet on properly he lost his helmet repeatedly yeah i mean kept going and I, he had a good decent game he just had a kind of a garbage still around him and no defense i mean like i you know i, I don't know where people have eastern ranked either but they always you know they'll be well, that's what happened on Twitter. Typical Eastern trolls jumped in here and said, you know, hey, what about us? And then uh, we had Sam Herter with the FCS uh, uh, with uh, Hero Sports jump in there and say, you know, it's the preseason when people are trying to define what a dark horse is or isn't. So Yeah. I mean, like, Eastern's always competitive, but, you know, those those Cooper Cup years took a lot of years off my life. I'm not going to lie. It's funny. We've talked about this before on here, but there are definitely – programs where guys are there so long that you're like it feels like a decade and cooper cup was definitely one of them i just i knew so many of those um kids on the, some of those eastern teams like i said the johnson twins and nick edwards the big receiver the six four receiver he went to Foss high school i covered him playing basketball and football you know they had another kid from stella Combe. you know it was funny when um tory hunter was a coach at eastern he was from lincoln high school he would call me when i was at the news tribune the week before the um, all area teams, he knew when we picked the all area teams and he'd want to head start. So he could start calling guys all the time from our all area teams, especially guys that he knew, you know, were, were probably not going to be D one, but definitely FCS level. And he, they made a living on those guys. Hmm. Well then, you know, the rumor that both Kendrick Bourne and Cooper cup wanted to be Grizz, but um, two different coaches didn't think they were the right material for it. Yeah. I mean, like, Tough to say, I mean, like nobody thought Cooper Cup was good. He only his other scholarship was PLU, and that's where his dad played at. I mean, like you know, so. So people were clamoring over themselves to get Cooper Cup. Yeah. Uh, all right. So last Twitter question, and Ryan kind of teased you on this one before we started recording. Is Shelby Montana the parent of the highline? 
Uh, Haver's got the French name, Haver. Harv is all my friends call it. And, um, <laughs> Harv, Harv has it. Yeah, Haver has it. We're not sure what it is, but it might be cured with penicillin. Um, <laughs> Shelby, no, come on. I mean, Shelby's got the best part about Shelby, it's that you got the border going into Lethbridge, go to Canada. I mean, like, I don't know. My, my friend Tommy Reynolds is a coach there, uh, his son. We should say thanks things about um, Shelby since his son is six foot nine as a junior and the Grizz have already offered him. Yes. Uh, so we should probably say nice things about Shelby, but no, Shelby is not. Uh, Shelby is slightly ahead of cut banker Browning on the high line, but I would probably rather go to Chester. Ooh. Okay. Fight Morris, Chester. Uh, all right, Mike, do you want to hop over the Grizz ones or sure. I got them up? Yep. Um, handful here. Uh, Everett Grizz has a handful for us. Um, first questions, you know, make, picking on me because that's what these guys do to Brit and I, much like your Twitter followers. Yeah. Wants to know how old I am if I'm grunting and groaning every time I get off the couch or bends over to pick something up. The answer is a resounding yes. I don't know when that happened, but I got old. Um, best road trip in Montana? Uh, for, for me? Um uh, I'll say, um, well, I don't know. I mean, Haver's four and a half hours from everywhere, so it's like, you know, nothing's, you know, that road to Great Falls. I, I got, I got to drive it tomorrow too. I really like in the summertime. I like going from, um, kind of from Great Falls to Helena and to Missoula through the Wolf Creek Canyon area and all that stuff. I do like, um. I don't know. I've taken the back way through St. Regis and up by going up by Libby and stuff, stuff like that too. I mean, there's some really pretty drives. Basically, though, that drive from Missoula to Missoula to about Big Fork is the most horrific drive on the planet because um, it's just traffic and you know, you know. So I would say probably that Wolf Creek Canyon area by the Missouri or in the mountains there. I think that's always pretty scenic. But all I really ever want to do is just get out and go fishing. I don't want to just keep driving. Um, I think it depends on what you're looking for. There are two views on that drive from Missoula to Polson that are gorgeous. And one is when you come up the hill around the corner, mm -hmm. see the Mission Mountains for the first time, oh, yeah. and they're just like popping up there. Um, then the other one is right when you come over the, the crust there and you see Flathead Lake. Those are great. I, I would have to say, you know, a lot of people talk about the Beartooth Highway. And, you know, I know that's on the edge, but um, you know, people like that. I think an underappreciated one is if you're going um, from Garrison Junction towards Helena and you cut over at Avon and cut back towards um, what is okay. it, Highway 200, whatever goes from Missoula to Great Falls. Mm -hmm. That is beautiful and there is no traffic there. Yeah, I've done that one before. Yeah, that's not bad. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I've also had to go the other way. And that, that drive from Wolf Point to Circle, not really a lot of fun by any means. <laughs> I like it. Uh, so his next question is for you specifically. The questions in your mailbag column in the Seattle Times, are those legit or are you making that shit up? They're all <laughs> legit. I mean, if he knows, my Twitter followers are a special kind of crazy. And um, so – um yeah it's just it's yeah they're 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 not i don't i just ask for them yeah i try and embed all the tweets so you can see them so. um 
who's the best person in Seattle sports media to have a beer with and who would you rather pour one on? Oh, that's a good one. Um, um, my buddy, uh, Bob Condota that covers the Seahawks. It's fun having beers with him. We'll go, we do trivia a lot. So I'll go with him. Um, you know, he's probably one of my favorites. Larry Stone, our columnist is a good guy to drink beers with too. Um, and then the, John McGrath, who was a columnist, a longtime columnist at the, the News Tribune. I mean, that guy wrote for uh, the national sports, you know, the old national the sports paper. And they, he's been all over. He has great stories of drinking beer with Hank Aaron and stuff like that. So, you know, he's a, he's a guy from Chicago, Irish Catholic, and, he, you know, he could drink a little bit. So I always liked having beers with him. He's probably my favorite drinking buddy. He lived in Tacoma, and he'd all, we'd always go out afterwards. So he was probably my favorite. And as far as pouring the head on, um, do I name coworkers? No. <laughs> we'll um, give you a pass here. You don't. Uh... Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of radio personalities in Seattle that I could do without, more or less. But oh man, I want to tackle that one too, but I'm not going to. So we already kind of touched on this. The whole Mariners rebuild. Are you a believer? Or are we destined to pay 67 bucks? Watch Double A baseball forever. No, I think that they did. They were smart to do the rebuild. Uh, um, they were they were right to do the rebuild, but um, 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 I just don't know, if, you know, if whether or not this is the right people to do it with. But they everything that they've done so far, I've agreed with. I haven't thought anything too badly. I mean, I understand all the reasons, and I thought they they needed to reset and restart over. Um, and, you know, that was always the big thing. Like, used to be fire everybody. Now it's always tear it down and rebuild. Well, like, people don't realize how long rebuilds take. Mm -hmm. And the Mariners were trying to expedite it, but even then, it's still taking a long time, and people have already lost patience, but they still did the right thing by doing it. Fair enough. All right. Um, a few more for you, and then we will wrap up, because we've appreciated okay. your time. Um, Grizzly I Die says, on paper, since this is the only way to evaluate right now, does this look like the best Grizz football team we've had since 09? Um, I'm going to leave that is, one to you guys. My answer is no. I mean, 11 was a damn good football team. So I don't – I'm not ready to say that until they prove it. But there's certainly a lot of talent, and they've shorn up a few of their weaknesses. Like, cornerback is obviously probably going to be better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right? I, I mean, yeah, like – I mean, I think that 11 team had better depth and better depth on the offensive and defensive line as well. I think that's that's where you get your most injuries at, too. And I just, you know, there were times last year where the Grizz O-line just looked overwhelmed. And I think that's, you know. Yep, I think that's a good point because that 11-0 line was still filled with Bobby Bobby guys that were younger because mm -hmm. that was only Flew's second year. So. Yep. <sighs> and the NCAA may say that that semifinal run didn't happen, but I was there. And – you know, I will cherish that Mark Farley losing um, in the night game forever. So, <laughs> suck in Northern Iowa. <laughs> Sorry. Um, if, the two, if the 2020 season is canceled, should the Big Sky redo the conference schedule so the Grizz can host Cat Grizz in 2021? Yeah, they should have to. They should have to get that. I mean, you yeah. know, just, I mean, that's you – know. Amen. I don't know how they do it because all those schedules are so far in advance, but I think the state of Montana would freak out if MSU got to host two in a row. Um, Brent, last question. I think it's for you. 
if the season is canceled, are you taking the credit for 2021 or are you donating your season ticket money back to the athletic? I'll take the credit. Or don't. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I didn't really – did the season cancel your team? Are you donating your season ticket money back? I, I, no, I guess is the answer to the question. I, yeah, I can't believe you need to – I think, can't believe you need to wait on this. Yeah, I would donate. And, yeah, I mean – I'm not some massive donor, and so, yeah, I, I donate and come back. I know a lot of people that are kicking their season ticket renewals, kicking the can for the next year since they can't, since the OM's allowing them to do that. But I'd probably just donate it and opt to pay again next year, most likely. What is your guess on total renewals right now, Bryn? Um, A source tells me it it's been okay, but it could be better. All right. That's probably what you would expect. Um, all right, last question from any user, and this is a guy named Haver Grizz. So my hunch is you probably know him. Um, who's the best <laughs> fast pitch, fast pitch pitcher to come out of Montana, and why is it you? Oh, God. it's not me. Um, I played fast pitch this weekend, so I've been playing fast pitch since I was 16, 17 years old, and I pitched for probably 20 some years. Blew out my shoulder when I was living out in Seattle. Um, but, yeah, I just played seven games in three days, and so I can barely sit here while we're doing this because my entire body hurts in every possible area. Um, I don't know who the best one is <laughs> from the state of Montana, but it is not me. It is definitely not me. Um, we, had, we had some success, but it's definitely not me. We had a, there was a guy from Missoula, Alan Powell, who was pretty good for a long time, and um, – guy from Haver named Gary Evans who taught me how to pitch and another guy named Dick Sherrill out of Haver. I think there was another guy in Helena that was pretty good at one point in Great Falls, but yeah, definitely not me. I was the, probably the biggest cycle out of all of them. I know that. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I dipped into my Haver sources um, to, to do some background. Um, and I have an agent that works for me named Kendra Peterson Richardson, and she, uh, I said, Ryan's from Harvard, you know him, and she said, mostly in college, he worked at Reds, he's a good baseball player, quote, I didn't prompt that, she said it, so I think you're not giving yourself enough credit here on the fast pitch lane. Yeah, Kendra dated my friend Rick in high school, and then she's married to a guy named Terry Richardson, and yep. I, I played football with him in high school and baseball, too, and so, yeah, I know them pretty well, they're they're good. They're good folks. I mean, yeah. she's a year younger than me. Yep. Terry's a great guy too. I, I enjoy them, but it's, I was kicking myself cause I've known for a couple of days, you're going to be on the pod and it didn't even cross my mind until like five minutes ago. you like, Oh yeah. If you yeah. have anything embarrassing on Ryan. <laughs> I'm sure there are, but yeah, hopefully she's forgotten though. So. Well, she's keeping her mouth closed if they are. Um, <laughs> hey Ryan, thanks so much for taking the yeah. time to, to be with us. Um, anything else you want to put out there for our, uh, our, our Grizz fan pod fans? Oh, no, just like I said, um, you know, like if you want, read my stuff on, on the Seattle Times website and you can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Divish. And, you know, like definitely support your local newspapers, read the stuff that they're out there, and then, you know, spark your local businesses. Although I know it's getting tougher, but, you know, um, try and be safe in all this. Because the last thing you want to do is get somebody, like everybody sits there and says, well, I, I won't, you know, I don't get sick or whatever. You know, I haven't had a head cold in three years. That's fine. But, I'm more worried about getting somebody else sick that I care about. So people be smart at least. You know? And then right, um, we'll, we'll take it. All right. Um, we, uh, 
we, we've noticed that we have a lot of followers in um, media around the country who used to be UM students. So if we ever do some sort of panel with uh, all you guys off covering cool things, we'll have you back on. Oh yeah, sounds good to me. I appreciate it. Awesome. Brent, anything else from you? Good to go, Ryan. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate this today. All right, no problem. Uh, I won't out, you know, hopefully your Packers do well against the Vikings this year. I have a bunch of Viking friend fans and they're really annoying. They're going to do good against the Vikings. They'll be fine. Yeah. Sounds All good. Right. Well, next episode, um, either next week or the week after, we're going to have Greg Sumberg from the GSA to kind of talk about what the world looks like. So I think that'll be an interesting episode for everybody. Um, until then, if we know you, we'll see you sooner. If not, we will. Uh, We'll see you next time. Go Grizz. Fight on. Fight on. Wash your hands. <laughs> Don't touch your face, you monsters. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs>